the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Promo code SHUTTER. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia, 
With me in studio today, down in at the main Weva studio, is my precious wife, Alexandra. Alexandra, welcome. Welcome. This is not going to be a normal broadcast. I can no longer come and just teach some biblical passage or teach some basic Christian principle. Things are so hot right now in the in the realm of darkness we are being overwhelmed in america and the church is being overwhelmed with darkness there must be a change in the book of revelation in the fourth chapter we find that there's a door standing open in heaven and a voice speaking like a trumpet trumpet calls for john and says come up here and at once he's in the spirit and he's in the throne room of god and in the throne room of god he sees this great beautiful throne he sees god sitting on that throne the father he sees around the throne 24 elders in a moment he's going to see the lamb slain from the foundation of the earth As they are in that throne room, the fire of God is flashing forth. The seven flaming spirits of God are present. And it's in this throne room that everyone is bowing before God and worshiping. Now, let me be very clear with you today. There is one goal that Alexandra and I have, and that is to spend as much time as possible in the throne room of God, to be filled with his fire, that we could come and speak to you in a very honest and plain manner that would call you to join us in the throne room. There's enough room there for you. I've spent many days, months, and years laying on my face in the throne room of God. It's in that place we are endued with power from on high, and things become very clear. Now, sometimes I feel like I'm not the sharpest knife in the, in the drawer. I know I'm not. I'm very clear that I have struggled for many years to understand the way of salvation. This issue of sin, we're going to talk about today because it is what causes a man to reject Jesus and walk in darkness. And so as we talk about the reality of sin, I have a confession to make. And my confession is simply this, that I have for many years sought in every way possible to walk with men and women, including you on this radio broadcast, in a way that would love you and care for you, in a way that would encourage you in the journey toward heaven It's called Pilgrim's Progress. 
But there is one very clear marker that must be laid down, and I have not done a very good job of laying down that marker. And that marker is, you cannot be saved and walk in sin. Alexandra, do you believe that a man can be saved and walk in sin? Absolutely not. You're going to have to say more than absolutely not. I won't let you get away with that. Speak up. Well, this is something you've spoken a lot about on this broadcast, that we are saved from sin. So we can't be saved from the penalty of sin, but not saved from the power of sin. Okay. So where are you going to go with that? Well, I'll tell you where I have to go with it. In my pleasing nature, and this happened Sunday. If you've listened to the broadcast from Sunday, you will hear me make a very serious mistake. I spoke about a man who is saved, but who is still carrying a dead body of the old man around. And the stench of that is there. Now, let's be very literal. What we're speaking about is a man who says, I am a Christian, but who continually falls into, no, I'm going to do it again. You don't fall into sin, you decide to sin. So, a man who continually chooses to be angry, to be judgmental, to be harsh, if a man continually chooses to do that, would you say that man is saved, Alexandra? If a person continually chooses to sin, then they haven't repented. So sin is just rebellion against God. So we can't say, well, we're obeying God in some points and then rebelling against God in other points. To be submitted to God is we're completely subdued. We've given up all rebellion. We've given up all sin. So when we come to Jesus, there is the demand that we utterly forever renounce our sin life. And we no longer walk in it. Yes, that's what's expressed throughout the New Testament with the metaphor of dying, dying with Christ to sin. So we find that in the book of Romans, and I encourage you to turn there, the sixth chapter of the book of Romans. In the fifth chapter, the Apostle Paul has been talking about sin entered the world through one man, but redemption entered through one man also. Through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. That's the NIV, chapter 5, verse 19. Then it says, grace would reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So that grace is not a covering for sin. It's an enabling 
to take the choice to utterly cut off our sin. So let's look at chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Now, where we're struggling, and and why I said to you this is going to be an unusual broadcast, is almost every Christian I meet is struggling with sin. And yet they are called Christians. They are attending church. And many pastors are saying, you can't help it, you'll always sin until you die. There seems to be a positioning of the American church to say, if we get the right education, if we go to the right seminars and the right sermons, we'll slowly grow beyond our sin. I don't believe that. Do you? That's not what we see in Scripture. In Scripture, they weren't taught until after they had already repented and believed the gospel. That's what we see in the book of Acts. So when Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, there was a call for immediate, total repentance and consecration to God. And so part of the difficulty, we talked about this a little bit a couple days ago on the broadcast, is we've lowered the bar on what is repentance. And so a true repentance, as you said earlier, it's that forever giving up all sin. It's a change of heart where now we're disgusted by sin. We hate sin. We wouldn't, you know, you probably wouldn't want to go outside and roll around in the mud right now. So that's how we feel about sin is it's something that we now perceive as dirty, as detestable. It doesn't have any attraction to us. And so it's not difficult to walk without sin because we don't want it. We naturally don't do things that we hate. And so repentance is really that change of heart where we are hating sin and loving God. And when we really see what it costs Jesus to to forgive us, when we see that it cost him his life in order for the penalty of sin to be removed, then that in and of itself should inspire in us to never want to sin again. If somebody, if somebody were in jail and their friend came to them and paid a million dollars to get them out of jail, they probably wouldn't go out and commit the same crime again. And then if you did, how could you be pardoned again? Your friend's probably not going to try to bail you out again if, if you do it a second time. So it's a similar thing where how much higher is the cost of the Son of God's life compared to a million dollars? So there, there's several components. It's that hatred towards sin, but that comes with a love of God. It comes with really seeing what it costs Jesus to save us. And there's also, it's when we repent that we receive the Holy Spirit. And that's another way of talking about the grace that you were just mentioning, because now there's this spirit of Jesus living in us who teaches us what it is 
that we say no to and so that's after that's after the repentance though so the teaching is always after the repentance you can't teach someone enough that they'll gradually just stop sinning that in and of itself doesn't make sense because sin is a choice to rebel against god so we have to choose i'm going to submit everything i am everything i have the rest of my life whatever happens no matter how much i suffer no matter what it costs me no matter what people say i'm gonna serve god and i'm going to love him and i literally think we must live in the spirit in the throne room of god that is our place of dwelling it's uh where was it it was in ephesians ephesians chapter 2 yes do you have that uh let Here me it is. S- it's ephesians chapter 2 verse 6 yes and has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in christ jesus so we are raised up past tense And we are seated with Christ in heavenly places, in his throne. That needs to be our dwelling place. Because that's where the fire of God is. That's where the the power resides. Okay, I want to look with you at the sixth chapter. Look, let's just take it literally for what it says. It says, we died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. These words are literal. He means that we are to die to the old man and to the old self, and we are to be brought into newness of life. And that word newness in the Greek means something that never existed before. So we are a new creation brought forth in Jesus Christ. I don't feel like I'm explaining this very well. How do I want to talk about this? Well, let's talk about it this way. See what you think, Alexandra. In 1 John, the second chapter, I read in verse 15, Do not love the world. And by the way, that word is agape. Sacrificial love for the world. Don't love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. We were having lunch together with friends I hope they're listening right now. In the discussion, he said, my son had a question to ask you. 
did he hear you say that you should not go to football games or basketball games, professional sports? I thought for a minute on how should I answer that question. You thought I answered adequately, Alexandra, right? To a certain extent. Okay. I answered basically by saying, you have to be led by the Spirit. And what's right for one is not right for everyone. And we are not legalistic. So we do what the Spirit of God leads us to do. That wasn't what I thought was the adequate part. What I thought was the adequate part was when you talked about how when we belong to Jesus, then all of our time belongs to him. And so we have to evaluate is how we're spending our time actually furthering the kingdom of God. Yeah, that really is the question. I thought about that a lot after lunch was finished. And the young man wanted to know, does it say in Scripture that you should not go to a football game? Now, this really becomes... A difficult question. It may not seem that way on the outset, but it is. If I choose to go to a football game, it cannot be at the leading of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit will not lead me to that game unless he's leading me there with my Bible to win a soul. And then I'm not there for the game. I'm there to witness to someone. And, of course, I would then ask, how many people have you won to Jesus at a Redskins game or a Steelers game? I would suspect you don't have a flock that you raised up out of the Steelers audience or the Redskins audience. So then for me, as I thought about this, I had to come back and say, wait a minute, does the NFL in any manner represent the kingdom of God? Do professional sports in any manner lift up the kingdom of God? I'm not arguing that there are not Christian men or women involved in those organizations, But I'm saying, as an organization, do they lift up the name of Jesus? And the answer is, obviously, of course not. That's not what they're about. I could apply this to many areas in the world. But the test is, is it of the world or is it of the person of Jesus? And so if I'm going to make decisions to be like the world, I have lost my ability to witness because I have become like the world. I spend my money the way the world spends their money. I go the places where the world goes. I have the same goals and objectives in life. If that's the case, I've lost my saltiness. And that has to be restored. Uh, It's very clear in 1 John 
do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. I see a basic problem, Alexandra, and it is this, that in the American church, we have become so much like the world that we have no salt and we have then no witness. And what should the witness be about? Shouldn't it be about that Jesus came, died on Calvary, in order to give me victory in my life over the world, the flesh, and the devil? Isn't that what the testimony should be? You want to jump in? Absolutely. And there's another element to this, too, which is that the emphasis really here is on the word love. Love not the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So what what we're talking about here is, is your focus and is your love on temporal things or is it on eternity? Because when we get to the next verse, verse 17, it says... And the world passes away in the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. So this is a a more common snare that I see. It's not just things like the football games, but it's having that inordinate love for things that ultimately when we die, we can't take with us. So, for example, I know one family, they've been very successful. They went to the husband's a doctor the wife was a nurse so they you know they went to medical school they they basically planned out their entire life they knew how many children they were gonna have they budgeted out how to send them all to private school how to send them to college you know they managed their investments so their house is paid off they are now retired they're traveling the world they spend i i really think they spend about three thousand dollars a month plus in insurance because everything that they've invested has been for this life. They have not invested in the life that's to come. They haven't, they don't read the Bible. They don't have family devotional time. They don't attend church. They think that everything of this world is what is worth striving for. And it's strange because, you know, you observe all this and just the... It's really that they have laid down their life. They're in their 60s now, the, the husband and wife. And they really have laid down their life for these things of the world. And they haven't, as Jesus said, laid up any treasure in heaven. So it's not just particular things to avoid, but it's having that disposition to put everything you have in this life and not to make any consideration for the afterlife. And we know the only thing that is going to stand, it says, he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. So it's when we do the will of God that that's what we can take with us into eternity. And when you turn to chapter 5 of First John, he speaks more about this in verses 3 through 5. This is First John chapter 5. For this is the love of God, 
that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? So here again we see the love of God contrasted with a love of the world, and we see the love of God further defined as keeping God's commandments, which is another way of saying doing the will of God. And so it's not difficult, it's not grievous to keep the commands of God when we're born of God. And I think verse 5 is interesting. It says, Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? So this is a good test of belief. If you say you believe in Jesus, but you haven't overcome the world, then there's something deficient in your belief. Because if you've truly believed in Jesus, you will be overcoming the world. You will be keeping the commands of God, and it won't be difficult. It won't be a struggle. It's the same thing that you see in the book of Romans. It says, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And so that belief in Jesus, a true belief in Jesus, always results in righteousness. Did you want to jump in on that? You're right, that when we choose and covenant with Jesus to totally walk away from the world, from the flesh and from the devil, it's going to take time to evaluate every aspect of our life and ask, is this in line with the kingdom of Jesus, the way I dress, the way I talk, where I go, how I spend my money? I'll never forget as a kid, I wanted to know where my mother and father were spending their money. And so they were both outside, and I went into the office, and I pulled out the checkbook because it didn't seem to me that we were being taken care of in the manner that I wanted us to be taken care of. I would ask for an extra pair of pants, and my mama would say, Raymond, you don't need an extra pair of pants. You have all that you need. Well, I didn't think I had all that I needed. So I wanted to know where's all the money going. And I went in and looked. And there were more checks written to ministries, particularly radio ministries. There were more checks written to ministries than there were checks in a month written to take care of the family. I looked at that. I was astonished. Mom and Dad had a very clear understanding that they were on their way to heaven. And we were to travel light. We didn't need all the things of the world. We were just, as my dad used to say, Raymond, we are strangers and aliens here. We're just passing through. Don't get settled down in this world. Well, he was right. That's what the word says. We're strangers and aliens here. And I guess I don't want to just talk about this. I want to bring it right to you who are listening. Are you still walking in sin? If you are, you are lost. You are not on your way to heaven. You cannot grow out of your sin. You cannot be schmoozed out of your sin. 
You cannot be comforted out of your sin. Sin is a choice. And we must make that choice to stop walking in the way of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Until we make that choice and covenant with God to forever leave the darkness, we cannot walk in the light. And this goes against just about everything I've ever known about the gospel of Jesus. And I'm sure it goes against what you thought you knew. But that's what the word very clearly states for us. There must be a leaving of the things of darkness. How do I say this? Have you left the darkness yet? Or are you still playing in it? A man said to me yesterday, Oh, I believe in Jesus. I pray every night. I love Jesus. Are there still sins in your life? Are you right with Jesus? Well, no. No, I'm not. There was a moment of silence, and then he said, I'm pretty deep in pornography. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. He just identified that he is a fornicator, that he is lusting sexually after everything of darkness, but he says he loves Jesus. He doesn't love the same Jesus I love. And part of what I'm discovering is that there are many Jesuses walking around. There are many false Jesuses, and they're very religious. This man's honest confession, I then took to him after the service and asked him very bluntly, are you willing to leave your pornography? And his answer was, I'm working on it. In other words, no, I'm not willing to leave my pornography. And looking on his countenance, I saw death written all over his face. He is covered by darkness. So here's a man who says, I love Jesus. Here's a man who says, I pray every night. But he's utterly walking in sin and rebellion against Jesus. And it's worth mentioning that he knows that because he said, no, I'm not right with Jesus because I'm watching this pornography. So the, your conscience always knows when you're not right with God. And you might try to quiet your conscience with songs, with going to certain worship services with saying, I pray every night. There's a lot of ways that you can try to comfort it, but your conscience always knows that it's not right. But see, if we say everybody's in the same place, we're all trying to walk together to get to heaven, then it looks like, oh, everybody is walking in sin and everybody is struggling. Let's just love everybody. Well, that's not loving. It's not loving. It's not really repentance. 
And it also, I think it involves a misunderstanding of what sin is. So there's some people who say, well, everything I do is sin. Breathing is sin. Well, that's not true. The Bible doesn't say that just breathing is sin. If you read, especially the Old Testament prophets, if you read Jeremiah, if you read Isaiah, God identifies very specific actions that the people of Israel did that were sinful. And it's this—it's going to be the same way when we face God on the day of judgment. Is he's going to look at our very specific actions. He doesn't say, well, you breathed and you deserve to go to hell because you breathed. We know that's preposterous. Nobody really believes that. And he's not going to say, when I look at you, I don't see you. I don't see your sin. I see Jesus. Well, Jesus is the judge. He's not going to look at himself. He wants to see himself reproduced in you, in reality, making you righteous. Yes. if we, It says in 1 John that if we believe in Jesus, we should walk the same way that Jesus walked. So the other thing is, so that's the first problem, is you can say, well, everything is sin, so of course it's impossible for me to live a righteous life. But that's just not scriptural because the Bible identifies the righteous and the wicked over and over and over throughout the Bible. So we know that's not a correct view. The other, the other error that you can fall into is you can lower the bar on sin and you can say, well, it's not really a sin for me to get drunk. Or it's not really a sin if I watch pornography in the example you just gave. Or smoke pot. Or smoke pot. But that's what I'm saying about the conscience. The conscience knows that it is sin. So we can dumb down our understanding and say, you know, everybody's doing the best they can do. Let's just get along and we'll grow. And after all, all God can expect from us is that we do our best. So if I do my best, God will make up the rest. That's what I heard for years in the Christian church. But that's just displaying that there's no change of heart. It says there's no change of heart. And we're hellbound. Yes. If that is our heart's If that's condition. our heart's condition, we're hellbound. Well, wow. How do you react to that? I mean, what we're saying is directly out of the Word of God. So when we come to you and we speak about revival, what we're literally speaking about is a decision on your part to leave your sin. It is literally a time now to confess your sin, to repent, which is to leave your sin, and to enter into the throne room of God, to be in the presence of Jesus. So, revival is a new beginning of obedience in your life. It means I'm going to read the scriptures, I'm going to pray, it takes time to be holy, I'm going to be in the presence of Jesus and I'm going to cut off everything that is of the world in my life. And I would just add, when you're reading the scriptures, you're not just reading it, but you're you're reading it with the heart that says, I'm going to obey everything that I read. I'm going to obey what the Word says. 
and the Spirit of God will only speak according to the Word. He will not tell you to go to a worldly place. We have a young man who's we've been struggling with for quite some time over this question of coming to Jesus. And again, he said to me on Sunday, Pastor, I am done with the clubs and the dancing. And I said, why? He said, you cannot go to the barbershop and not get a haircut. If I go to the club, I am going to dirty dance with some woman. And if I don't, I'm going to watch them do dirty dance, and my heart will be there. And I can't follow Jesus and follow the dirty filthiness of this world. I am cutting it off. I am done with it. I said, okay, let me pray with you. That's an awesome decision. He also made the decision that he will no longer, in the privacy of his home, on his laptop, go to pornography. He's made decisions about each area where he has been reviling the name of Jesus. And he is determined that he will serve the living God of heaven. Will you make that decision today? Or are you going to make excuses and say, no, I'm really okay. But are you okay? Or are you just doing the best you can do and getting along and hoping that that will be enough? It will not be enough to save you. Getting along and doing the best you can is a sure recipe for ending up in hell. There must be a radical transformation of your life. I want to read this for you. 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, verse 14. For Christ's love compels us, that is, forces us, because we are convinced that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. When it says... If anyone is in Christ, that is in the Greek, locative, meaning spatial. It means positional, so that you cannot be in the flesh, in the world, in the devil, and in Jesus. That's what Paul is writing to us. And if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. Do you want to be a new creation? Or are you going to continue just getting along to go along? And there's nothing radical about your commitment or your life. You're hail fellow well met. You can laugh with the guys. You can talk the football talk. You can talk the baseball talk. You can talk about all the things in the world. 
and you can laugh and fellowship with people in the things of the flesh and in the world. That's what the world does. Or are you in Christ? You cannot be in both. Now, please hear me. You can be very religious and be in the world. The world loves religious people. The world does not love Christian people. If you want to follow Jesus, you're going to have to lay your life down. You're going to have to surrender. You're going to have to make the decision, I choose now to leave my sin. And you heard what I said? My sin. You own it. It's yours until you cut it off. So a man who is following Jesus cannot have a dead body tied to him. You know, in the Romans sometimes, when a man was sentenced to execution, they would tie a dead body to that man, and he would have to carry that stinking, rotting, dead flesh everywhere he went in the prison. The stench was incredible. Well, can a Christian have that dead body hanging on him? The answer is no. The answer is no. So if you are struggling and falling time after time, it is a sign that your repentance is incomplete and you have not been willing yet to cut off at its very depth the sin of your life. Did you want to get in here? We had one brother in our church who expressed this in a real simple way. So he said, when we repent, we're making that one initial decision that we're going to give everything to Jesus. And then out of that flow many smaller decisions. But you can't just jump ahead and try to deal with this sin and then deal with that sin when you haven't addressed you know, the fundamental issue is that you, that you own your life and that you are refusing to give your life completely to God to be used at his disposal, whatever he calls you to do. I mean... See, it's much more fun, Alexandra, to cherry pick and say, oh, I have this area. I need more patience, Jesus. Or I'm, I'm over here in this area and I have a little lust in this area. And then I have this and I have that. So let's work on these. That's not what repentance is about. It's not. So what you're saying, I think, is right on. Repentance is that key heart issue. Who do I belong to? And am I seated with Christ in the heavenly places? And am I being filled by his Holy Spirit and by the fire of God? that I will no longer compromise. And by the way, I just, I'll share this with the confession I made earlier. I have asked Alexandra to identify any language she hears me use that gives any excuse for a person to continue walking in sin. And she's agreed to do that. And she's pretty sharp at that. You see, I'm still so oriented in my heart to growing out of sin that I have to constantly monitor myself and my language 
that I don't open the door for the possibility that you can be saved and still walk in sin. You cannot be. That's an oxymoron. It's impossible. And this is where there's great sadness in my heart because I have many brothers and sisters that I dearly love who believe that they are fighting the good fight of faith by struggling against their sin. Sometimes they win, but most of the time they don't. Well, frankly, they still have not been converted. They're buying into the cultural church. They're buying into the lifestyle of the self-improvement deal that is an utter failure. This work of leaving our sin is done by a supernatural work of God by faith in the blood of Jesus. And we cut it off. It's done. It's over. We're finished. Have you reached that point yet? Are you willing to say that? Are you tired of dancing with the devil and calling yourself a Christian? You can't dance with the devil and say you're a follower of Jesus. You're not saved. You're lost. You need revival. You need a new beginning in obedience to Jesus. So maybe this is a good time to talk about revival. December 6th. I'm sorry, December 4. December 4, we will begin revival meetings. And these will be straight out of the Scripture, calling you to be reconciled to Christ, to totally surrender yourself and cut off the world, the flesh, and the devil. And we are going to beg you on this radio program to be reconciled to God, to leave your sin. Today is the day of God's favor. Today is the day of salvation for you. Now, we've spoken about repentance. We've spoken about hell. I can only tell you the glory of Jesus is to walk in him to obey him, to be faithful, to be one with him. And in that place, as revival begins to flow in your life, you have a first response, first to Jesus, to praise and worship and thank him, and then secondly, to begin to work with the lost around you who are still in sin and call them out of the darkness into the light. So put a circle around that date, December 4, Revival Meetings, National Prayer Chapel. Do you need to get right with God today? Mighty God, I plead now for your people who are listening to this broadcast. I ask that you would take away every excuse and every hidey cave And bring each one out into the open before your throne 
that they would make a decision to either leave their sin or to continue walking in rebellion against you and make it very plain to them what decision they're making. Don't let there be any middle ground for sin to continue among those who call themselves Christians. Lord, bring the radical reality that sin will take us to hell. Lord, I thank you. I pray in the, in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. You're welcome to write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. If it is your heart to walk absolutely clean and you have decided to renounce your sin, I invite you to come and visit us at the prayer chapel. We're looking for men and women who will make that decision and pay whatever price is necessary. You will find people who will pray with you and encourage you in the journey. So I invite you to come. We meet at the All Saints Anglican Church, and it's located at 14851 Gideon Drive in Woodbridge, Virginia. Or go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, nationalprayerchapel.com. You can also follow us on Facebook or Twitter, National Prayer Chapel. Are we hearing music? It's down so low I can't hear it. We're in a different studio today. I'm so glad you've been with us today. We love you. God bless you. We have half a minute. Anything you want to say, Alexandra? God bless you. God bless you. We love you. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.